All right, we're in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. I'm going to read it and then jump in this morning. It says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the opportunity this morning to uh, take a look at it and to challenge our hearts with what you say we should do, the actions we should take in this life, and, and how we should follow you and the relationships you've put around us. God, I pray you be with us as we look at this word, that you would challenge our hearts and change us, mold us into your image. Um, God, we want to follow Christ, and we want to be like him in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today we're jumping into a section uh, for the next few weeks where Peter is addressing how God calls us to conduct our lives in relationship to a number of things. First, in relationship to our government that's around us. Uh, then in relation to the, our workplace, basically being, being good workers. Um, and finally, in regard to our marriages. Uh, so he's going to start out these first two verses of the you know, seven or so that we're working through talking about kind of the presupposition of that whole section, going like, this is, this is the baseline I want you to understand and why it's important that your conduct be good in front of these circumstances. Um, so he starts out in verse 11 saying this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. A number of things to just point out uh, straight away from this verse. This world is not our home. Okay. Peter, continually throughout this uh, letter to the Christians throughout the region of Turkey, is telling them, you are exiles. Not, not from some other nation to this nation, but you are exiles in this world. Like The culture that you are surrounded by is not your home. You do not find a home in the culture that you are in. This world is not our home. You're sojourners here. You're exiles in comparison to those that may be around you. So he's not talking about where you physically live. He's saying you as an individual, the things you stand for, the things you walk in are separate from, different from, set apart from the world that is around you. You are living as if you are exiles in the midst of this land. This is not your home. You're a sojourner in the world and an exile from your true home. It's really easy um, to get caught up in the goals of this life, the successes, the desires of the world we live in. It's easy to get swept up in the excitement of, for instance, you know, a sports team like we just, like I and, and my daughter just got excited about it with baseball. You know, it's very easy to get swept up in the excitement of these things, or uh, if not a sports team, then, then maybe a band or a TV series or 
perhaps a city project that is going on in our, in our area. Like, for instance, in the city of Clearwater, we're about to spend $100 million on this bluff over here. Practically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Crazy, right? But it's going to be great. It's going to be, I mean, you should be kind of excited about it. It's going to be splash pads and all these kind of things. This is not a paid advertisement from the city of Clearwater. Anyway, just so you know, I was not paid for this political ad. Um, anyway, you could get swept up in some sort of city project or amusement parks or uh, whatever it is. Like, fill in the blank. What are you excited about? What is giving you uh, some sense of sub-joy, I guess, in this life? It's easy to get caught up in those things, but Peter is reminding these believers, especially as you know, a lot of their joy is being ripped away by the culture uh, speaking against them. He says, our fulfillment is not in the things created by man. Our hope is an eternal hope. We looked at that at the beginning, beginning couple chapters of 1 Peter. The salvation we have is one that is eternal. It comes from a place that is not here. It comes from heaven. It comes from the throne of God. It is secure and eternal. Our hope is in the eternal, restored relationship with our Creator, not in anything that, that a human has created up, upon this earth. And so he tells them, as, as aliens in this culture, abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. He's acknowledging to this group of Christians, right, that there is a war going on still inside you. Yes, you've been saved by the blood of Christ, and, and you hope in that securely, but he's recognizing that as you live as exiles in this world, as God keeps you here for as long as he keeps you, you're fighting against the tides of culture and even the tides of your own flesh. And so he challenges them with this very forceful language, wage war against the passions of your flesh. Um, recently, and I've listened to this a number of times, but I pulled it up again this morning, uh, John Piper was challenged on, on his bent toward describing uh, our fight with sin as war. Because he so often brings up the topic that this is a war that we're fighting inside of ourselves. But he kind of steps back and says, it's nice, I mean, you know, we would like to talk about the Christian faith as, you know, a fatherly, a motherly home where we get to have a great relationship and love is just going back and forth. But that's wonderful until we're confronted with the darkness of our own hearts as we interact with each other. And throughout Scripture, as I'm going to walk through a couple of things today, Jesus and the, the apostles are telling us in, in very clear language not to just be a word picture, but a reality of what's going on, that there is a war happening in the, in the heavenly places that it's actually happening in our hearts. And as believers, if we don't take up that fight, then that fight is going to come to us. And so Jesus challenges us, uh, the, Peter challenges here to wage war against the passions of our flesh. The truth is there isn't room for us um, as Christians to take up a passive model against sin and just kind of say, well, I'm just letting go and letting God deal with my sin. I'm just going to let go and just let it happen as ever it happens. That's good for some things, maybe, you know, like if you're trying to see, you know, what, what God are you going to do? Like, what's the next step? It's good to let God have his place in that. But in terms of the fight against sin in your soul, that's not the mentality we can have. 
Peter's saying that there's a, a war being waged in our hearts, and if we don't fight that war, then our enemy will advance. If you go to war, you're on the battlefield, and you just like playing cards while the enemy is operating, you're going to lose. And that's what's happening. If we're not taking up the fight of faith in our hearts, then we will surely be defeated and, and ground will be taken against us. Scripture takes seriously the struggle we have against sin. Jesus described it this way in Matthew 5, 29, hyperbolically saying, right, if your right eye causes you to sin, then tear it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, then cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. James 4, verses 1 to 5, says, uh, finds that the cause of conflict among us as a body of believers and as people is from the sin that wages within us. Verse 1, uh, James 4, verses 1 to 5. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it's no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? God's fighting this battle, okay? He is at war here. His heart is yearning for a spirit that he has put in to dwell with you, right? He's like, I have died for you on a cross. Now take up the fight and mortify this flesh that is within you. Wage war against this. Paul wrestles with it in Romans chapter 7 and 8, and I'm not going to read all of it, but a couple of key sections. This is, the, this is the famous passage where he says, I do what I don't do, and I do not do what I don't, don't want to do, and I do the right thing that I don't want to do, all that kind of thing. I skip in that whole portion. You guys know what's up with that. Starting in verse 21 of chapter 7, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do the right thing, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and take, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He goes on in chapter 8, verses 9 to 11 to say, You, however, Christian, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead also gives life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit, who dwells in you. There's a war happening within us. God is calling us to do some pretty amazing and powerful things with our lives that he wants us to walk in, but so often we're crippled by the waging war of our sin that we're not willing to take up. And the Lord says, take up this war within you. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Yeah, you're going to default to being passive and letting it take over you, but stand up and reject it. Ephesians 6, Paul gives us a list of different weapons we can use in this war. He said there's a spiritual battle happening, and I've given you some tools. 
I've given you, I'm just going to list them without the, like, the extra descriptors. Just think about the, the, the key descriptors. I've given you truth. I've given you righteousness. I've given you the gospel. I've given you faith. I've given you salvation. I've given you the word of God. I've given you prayer. Earlier in chapter 5, he says, I've given you psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. If you want to know how to take up the war that is going on for your soul, do these things. It, press into worship as warfare. Press into intercession, not, not like presenting to God all the needs that you have, but rather standing in the gap for your brothers and sisters and praying on behalf of them. Step into the truth that God has revealed in his scripture. Step into his righteousness. Let his gospel ready your feet with where he wants to take you. Extinguish arrows with faith. The devil is sending stuff at you this way and that. Have faith that God has brought you to this place and stand against them. Why is it important that we emphasize this very first phrase of this whole section so heavily? It's this because Peter says there is a lot at stake that we would wage the war against the passions of our flesh. To this point in the whole book of, uh, book of 1 Peter, we've seen the importance of this war within us unto our own salvation. We've seen the importance of this war within us unto the holiness God calls us to personally. We've even seen the importance of this war within us to uh, the, the commitment we have to love and serve the body of Christ. But here, as we turn to verse 12, Peter begins to argue that our conduct is a testimony and a witness to those around us who do not follow Jesus, who have not yielded their lives to him as Savior and Lord. He says, God is coming to visit this world. He's, you know, at one point, he's going to come again, right? But until he comes again, he's already here, and you are his representatives, and you are his ambassadors. If we do not take up the fight of faith over the war that is in our hearts, then how will we stand in good conduct and honorable deeds before the world that is around us, that when God visits them through us in the power of the Holy Spirit, they will be able to respond and say, I glorify your God. Your God is God. Verse 12 says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He challenges this group of Christians that's been persecuted by their own culture, look down upon for who they are, to keep their conduct honorable and walk in good deeds. In the middle of verse 12, he says, when they speak of you as evil. And you might wonder uh, throughout here how Christians could be seen as evil if they're walking in such good conduct. What we have to remember is that the culture around these believers, surrounding them, is one that worshiped a variety of local gods. And so as they look on Christians who are not honoring the gods around them, they're labeling them as evil and subversive to what is supposed to be happening in the culture that is around them. 
So believers who are not honoring such gods were accused of being evil because they're not honoring the gods of the land. So it feels kind of backwards to us as we're like, oh, well, the Christians are supposed to be in good conduct. Why would they be labeled evil if they're in good conduct? Because they're not serving the same gods. Their morality is not the standard. Their worship is not the standard. Their way of life is not the standard. At one time, that would be very foreign to us. The truth is, that's becoming a greater reality to us now. We can see developing in the world around us a a moral standard that the culture is evolving toward. And those who follow a biblical morality will be increasingly seen not as good people, but as evil. And so what is Peter's recommendation to you, Christian, as the culture's morals change, as they come in contrast to those of Scripture? He say, get out your pickets. Right? Is that what he said? Boycott everybody. Right? Let's go be Amish. Is that what he, is that what he says? Verse 12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they, see, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter says the response to the culture's changing morals and their label of you as evil ought to be for you to simply walk in honorable conduct and good deeds. We're not called to walk around this world judging the world for living according to a standard that they don't even acknowledge. When we walked through 1 Corinthians, we saw in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul argued that it is irrelevant to us to judge the world according to the morality we are under for morality they don't even acknowledge. He says, my call to you is to look at yourselves and take care of your own house. And let them deal. Let me, let actually God be the judge of those who are outside. Peter's solution to a a changing moral around you is not to confront the changing morals around you so much. But rather to look within and start here. Peter says, go to war against the sin that is within yourselves and walk in this world with honorable conduct and good deeds so that those who are not currently believing in Jesus might glorify God when Holy Spirit shows up knocking at their door. You don't know when that's going to be. You don't know what exactly. Knocking on the door, right, Zachary? That's right. That's right. We got sound effects here. This is great. You have no idea. The truth is you have no idea what good deed or honorable conduct is going to catch somebody's attention that Holy Spirit knows. And Holy Spirit's going to, did you see that? He's one of mine. She's one of mine. Do you want what they have? It's deeper than what you've got. Walk in honorable conduct and good deeds that those around you might have a hope in the gospel. They would respond in faith on the basis of the truth of the gospel and the testimony of the conduct of the body of Christ. 
It's vital for us, according to Peter, to take seriously the sanctification of our lives as we follow Christ so that others may see how the Lord has changed our hope and changed our desire and changed our passions to ones that are lasting and eternal. As I mentioned at the outset, Peter has given us a few examples of how this has worked out, uh, which we'll deal with over the next few weeks, like, such as our citizenship, our, our, our employment, or, uh, and, and our marriages. And today we're looking at how this applies to our earthly citizenship, citizenship. So I'll walk through these following verses on the basis of this war that we are to wage inside of us. Peter's looking at a body of Christ that has a number of things to deal with, right? They're, first of all, they're under the authority of the emperor of Rome. They don't get to go vote for who's in place, okay? This is not their reality, Peter's call to them is not to start a revolution, right? Shockingly, he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. As a people, we have to wrestle with, right, at what point is it time to rise up and stand for the good of all the people against the oppression of, you know, a regime or whatever. But normatively, as a Christian, your mindset ought to be, for the Lord's sake, to be subject to the institutions around you. To be subject to the emperor as supreme. How can the Bible say that? Be subject to the emperor, like Roman emperor, the, the folks that crucified Jesus. Like this, this nation, that's who I'm supposed to be subject to. Peter says, for the most part, their whole role is to keep peace. And the fact is, as a Christian, you're not, you're not here working for your life in 75 to 100 years or whatever. That's not your timetable. Your timetable is eternity. And God has placed you in this little, you know, track of humanity, of time, right? To rub shoulders with people around you who are either in fear of the regime that is above them or in, uh, enthralled with their power or what have you. And as a Christian, you're stepping back and going, I'm not worried about this power and I'm not in fear of this power because my hope is eternal. And so, yeah, uh, as long as it makes sense, I'm just going to live at peace with what is happening here, so that you might see my good conduct and my honorable actions and praise the Father in heaven. Because my identity and my my safety and my hope is not in how my life plays out on this this world. My hope and my identity and my, my desire and passion is for an eternal existence. And so whether I'm under the oppression of a persecuting emperor or whether I'm in a society where I get to go to a poll and vote for who's in power, it doesn't matter. My heart should be set on what does God call me to do and how does God call me to act so that I can witness to the goodness of God around me. So yeah, he's able to say, even of the emperor of Rome, be subject to him. He's sending governors throughout his land that he might uphold peace, that good might be done and evil might be squashed. That's his whole role. So go along with that. 
as long as that makes sense. And I will caveat all that with there are probably some scenarios where it's time for God to move and shift things around. But let's leave that to God to tell us when that's going to happen. Instead of constantly being caught up in the conspiracies and the brokenness of the system and how we're, you know, rising or they're falling or whatever, okay? All the institutions of humanity are falling. There's not a one that's going to exist forever. This Roman emperor, he's gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay? America might be gone someday. Right? The USSR doesn't exist. These things come and these things go. Okay? But the kingdom of God lasts forever. So don't find your hope caught up in whether you're on the right side of history or not. Be on the Lord's side. Let him wage war inside your soul and conduct yourselves honorably and with good conduct in this world around you. That those around you might see that you're not caught up in this. That you're caught up in eternity. Something that's beyond all rulers and principalities. This is the will of God, 1 Peter 2.15 says, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The truth is we walk around in this world thinking that we're powerful, posting all of our great opinions, you know, and like really excited about all of our words. Man, words are so weak. I'm going to like talk up here for 30 minutes, you know. I'm going to spout off a bunch of words. You're going to hear all these words and they're, you know, some will be good, some will be terrible, okay. And I pray the Holy Spirit uses one of them somewhere, please. But what matters is that you act, that action is taken. Peter says, I'm not worried about your words as much as your actions, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you can put to silence the ignorant talk of people. People love to talk and give their opinions about what they do in this situation or that. But when it comes to action, things often change. Wise actions silence foolish words every single time. It reminded me of the parable of the two sons in Matthew 21, 28 to 32. It says, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. Dad, why don't you tell me what to do? I'm a man. I'm a son. And then afterward, changed his mind and went. Yeah, that's probably tell my dad I shouldn't do that, right? But then he went to the other son and said the same, and, and that son answered, I go, sir. He said the right thing, but he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of his father? The first one. Right, they both, yeah, right. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him, and when, they, when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. You're like the son who said, yeah, I'll go. I'll follow God wherever he leads, and then doesn't go. Our actions are speaking to the world around us. Not our words. Um, this week, I thought this was 
like the most obvious study to come out or, or opinion to come out from the Surgeon General. Surgeon General came out this past week and said, social media is harmful to the mental health of our youth. Shocking, shocking, even the kids know. Even the kids know, yep, social media is a mental health concern to our youth. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Um, you know, this is maybe obvious in a, in a finding. And uh, listen, social media, just like any tool, okay? There is a lot of tools in our world to get messages out and to communicate with people. Social media is one of them. And it can be used for good, used for evil. The internet can be used for good, can be used for evil. Newspapers can be used for good, can be used for evil. I don't, I don't care what medium you're talking about, Okay, it's all, you know, uh, got its ways to be used, properly or not. But the problem with these platforms and any other platform we have in the world is that we are a part of it. <laughs> Sinners putting sinful content into these things. And the even further problem is that these things, right, are just walls of words. You know, every tragedy that comes, thoughts and prayers, you know, like as if your thoughts and prayers did something to help out the people, especially if you don't believe in prayer, right? But so many just walls and walls of words and, and no actual actions. If we're just stuck in our words without actions, we're actually detached from reality, our words spoken so emphatically must be met with action to have any sort of meaning. And that's why social media is damaging to mental health. Because you're caught up in a world that isn't reality. And you're never actually going into the world to interact with humans and actually touch and engage and hear emotion and feel body language and all that kind of thing. And so reality is detached from your, all your words you're spitting out. Problem is that as you spit out words... Your soul and spirit is interacting with those words that you put out into the world. And they're just going into the neither and not actually having effect in action. They separate us from action and reality. So yeah, social media is damaging, especially if not met with true community and action. Peter says, do good that you would put to silence the ignorant, foolish talk of people, the ignorance of foolish people. He challenged them in verse 16 um, to live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for, for evil, but living as servants of God. I love this verse. <laughs> To a people in a society where they don't have any authority, they're, they're peasants, right? I mean, they don't have any standing. And in fact, they're being rejected by their culture at this point. He says, live as people who are free, but servants of God. You've been given complete freedom from being uh, consumed with the, the, the pleasing of the world's institutions, Right? You've got complete freedom that because of your eternal hope in Christ Jesus. You are unbound from the fleshly desires of the world. In your freedom, become servants of Christ. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for what is evil. 
It's too often that in our Christian subculture, we, we use the guise of freedom that we've received by the grace of God to have these little debates about how far we can push the line of compromise with what we watch or what we eat or what we drink, rather than just asking the Lord, Lord, I am your servant, what would you have me do? And so we're like, can I go this far and be a Christian still? How about this far? Am I still a Christian here? How about here? Am I still a Christian? We're worried about where the line is, and God's over here going, would you come to my throne and worship me and praise me for who I am? Crown me, the one who has taken on your sin and your shame and demolished it by the slaughter of the Lamb. Instead, we're over here debating these little things when God's going, my majestic power is here for you and all you're concerned about is how far I can push the line? Don't use your freedom as a cover-up from evil. Rather, stand before God as servants in every action. So I'm going to wrap up with the final verse, but before I get to that verse, I'm going to say as we close, I want you to remember this, that God is calling us to go to war against our sin. To recognize that, that there's a battle in you, and, and sometimes as we mature in Christ, we can be like, ah, nothing really struggling with, you know, everything's okay. Be on guard. The Lord says, Stand. And when you've done everything to stand, stand. Stay standing. Because it's those times when we're like, oh, I'm, I think I'm doing good, right? Pride becomes before the fall. Not that we're going to fall back into some old, you know, destructive pattern completely, but like look deeper inside your heart and go, man, you know that sin I struggled with way back then? That's like rooted in something deeper that I hadn't actually gotten to yet. And let the Lord wage war on that. And keep bringing that to the cross of Christ and going, thank you, Jesus, for restoring me, from saving me from that deep, dark hurt that's, that's colored so much of my life. Let him continue to work deep down in there. Wage war against what is down in there. Because you know it, as you kind of like get rid of the, like, the outward sins that everyone judges, People like assume you're good because all your outward sins are taken care of. But if you're truthful and humble with yourself, you're looking inside and going, man, that thing I was doing was motivated by whatever. A dark heart. And so instead of just relaxing that you've kind of got the, the, the legalism piece figured out, you've got everyone you know, shown that you're clean on the outside, let God start doing work on the inside so that the whole life can be submitted over to him. So that when you come up against a scenario where the emperor is imposing his will and saying, you need to do this and this and, the, this and such, you can have the wise action to walk honorably in good conduct and those around you will be confounded because of, how did you make that decision? Well, I mean, the Lord told me to and so I did it. <laughs> right? Let this war wage in you and take up the, the, 
the weapons that God has given you to fight the war in your heart. Pray. Sing praise. Intercede. Read the word. Have faith. Preach the gospel to yourself. We do not grow out of these things. We will need them until our final breath. For this purpose, that those around us who travel this life with you as journeymen and journeywomen might look to you and see the faithfulness of God as you point to Christ. Wage war against sin in your heart. Peter wraps this section by saying four statements that I'll close with also. First, honor everyone. Honor everyone. Honor at this point was called to be given to the emperor. You're supposed to give honor to the emperor in this culture. Peter says, in contrast, give honor to everyone. Everyone here is made in the image of God. And so everyone on this earth is deserving of you honoring them for what God has put in them. Every person made in the image of God possesses beautiful qualities and personalities and desires and all sorts of things that God hopes and wishes and desires to redeem for the glory of his kingdom. And so Peter says, honor everyone. There's not a person that comes into your life that you shouldn't give honor toward. Recognize what God has put in them and call it out. Honor everyone. As a subset to everyone, he speaks to this group of churches and says, honor everyone, then under that, love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. What kind of love? Cross kind of love. Die for you kind of love. Give every ounce of my emotion and physical nature and spiritual outpouring and prayer and intercession on behalf of the body of Christ. If anyone would claim and call out and say, I'm, I'm of the body of Christ and I, I follow Jesus, whether that's out of a weak heart or a strong heart or whatever that might be, our job as Christians is to surround and come around and pray for, intercede for, and speak truth to and contend for. This is love that the Lamb of God was slaughtered on a cross. And so the call to us as believers is to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I loved what Josue said yesterday. We were packing up Jason Laura's house and taking it down Largo. Um, and I'm sorry if I, I hope you don't mind me sharing, Josue. But he just said, you know, it's such a blessing to give. Right? Like you, we convince ourselves so often that like what I need right now is some space and some time for me because I'm feeling, you know, like some trouble and things are hard and whatever it may be, right? And it's such a lie. It's just not true. It's better to give than receive. It's better to reject the lie that what I need is some mental health time 
and step into the truth that what you need is to love some brotherhood time. And it's so true. Man, once you lift a huge desk and shove it up wherever Mark tells you to put it, you know, you know, it's true. That's weird, but... um, You feel a sense of, man, we did something for someone. And Jason and Laura got to receive that. And I'm telling you, they're grateful. They made sloppy joes for us. You know what I mean? So that was sweet. And those lemon creams, right? Okay. Not everybody liked the lemon creams. I liked them. Thanks. Love the brotherhood. Honor everyone, but love the brotherhood the way Christ has loved you. This is two words again, but it's so in contrast to the disposition of the people around this body of believers that Peter is writing to. Fear God. Fear God. I mean, in the natural, if I were like in opposition to the U.S. Army as a whole, (laughs) I should be afraid, right? What's that? You say? Air Force. Force. Yeah, okay. Our na- we got a battle. We already got a fight going, about to start. Oh, shoot. Just kidding. I'll leave it. <laughs> if I were an enemy of America, militarily speaking, I should be afraid. Right? And that's kind of the situation there for Rome, the, the, the people here in Rome, right? The disposition of everyone else at the time is to fear the emperor, to be afraid of what the Roman emperor could do to you, what the governor sent by the emperor could do to you. You should be afraid of the emperor who is supreme. That's who you should be afraid of. You should fear him. And Peter says, no, you don't have to be afraid of him. He's a human creation. The word at the beginning, human institutions, the creation. He's a human person. These things are human They're made by man. It's not God. Fear God. He said it early in uh, chapter 1, verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. And just as Luke said it, or as Jesus said it in Luke 12, verses 4 to 5, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and afterward have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who has who after he has killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. God is the governor over our souls, okay? Have reverence toward the one who created not your body alone, but your spirit. Yeah, you know, you might get hurt or you're you're scarred or cut or you die or whatever, but fear the one who looks over your soul and says, did you trust in my son, Jesus Christ? Because I gave him on a cross for you. Fear God. Do not fear the emperor. Fear God. And yet, honor the emperor. Okay, God. I don't know how to do that when the guy I voted for is not in office. Guess what? Doesn't matter who's in office. Honor. What does honor look like when when the person you don't like is in office? Pray. Pray for them just as you prayed for the guy you liked. Okay? Support 
the peace of the city. Seek the peace of the city, of the country. Honor the emperor as much as you can in normative life. Honor. Is there a time where you got to rebel? I'm sure there is. And we can talk about that, have debates about that. I know some people talk about that on Thursday and Wednesday and all this. But your fear should be toward God in heaven. Honor everyone, including the emperor. He's part of everyone. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. It challenges us. It makes us bristle. It makes us uncomfortable. Um, sometimes we don't like it. But God, when we step into it, we know it's truth. It challenges our hearts to be more like yours, willing to lay down your life for us, willing to go to a cross for your enemies. God, we don't understand in our minds that kind of love, but our hearts are compelled to give our lives for that kind of love. And so God, we pray that you would help us. Help us to wage war against the passions of our flesh. Help us stop debating about how far we can push our sin. Rather, help us fall face down and say, you are worthy. You are worthy. In light of that, all the debates are washed out by the glorious light of the kingdom of God. And so God, help us fight this war with the weapons you've given us. Prayer and faith, gospel, righteousness, worship. That you might give us the wisdom to walk in this world honorably and in good conduct. That those you've placed us around might call upon your name and also find eternal hope that is beyond every hope this world can offer. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.